0: Thank you, choir, and thank you, Murray, and and Gina. Thank you for children's service. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11, which is the Hall of Fame of Faith. And we're going to be going through this next week. I kind of divert from that for Mother's Day. By the way, I hope you tell your mother, she's still alive, that you appreciate her. And the average gift, I think, costs $500, so you'll know (laughs) how much you'll know how much you love her by <laughs> just compare that okay now if you um well we'll hebrews chapter 11 we'll look starting at verse 7 and so why don't we go ahead and look at that so if you in honor of god's word would you stand as we look at one of those faith? and you know that uh 18 times the writer of hebrews says by faith and he's like a wife who says, she gives you a statement and she looks for a response. And if she doesn't get the response she wants, she'll say it again. And if you don't get the response, she'll say it again until she finally says it, until she gets the kind of response that she wants. And this is what the writer of Hebrews does. And he says it 18 times to get you to know what is faith. What is faith? one of the key substances of my walk with God and your walk with God and so he wants them to know what is faith about and he says by faith Noah being warned of God of things not seen because faith is something that is not seen but it has substance to it as yet moved with fear prepared an ark to the saving of his house by which he condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness. The first time righteousness is mentioned is that of Noah. And Noah found grace and righteousness in the eyes of the Lord, which is by faith. And then Abraham comes right after him. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place, and he was already in real estate, but he's called to go out into a place, what he should after receive for an inheritance. He obeyed. It's a big word there. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Now, if any of you uh, wives ever said that about your husband, he has no idea where he's going, (laughs) then you can understand Sarah and Abraham. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word and you may be seated. And would you? Turn with me to uh, Hebrews chapter 6. It kind of gives us a sense of the writer of Hebrews and how he's trying to reach out to people who were breaking away from the faith, and they were going in another distance. If, if you go off Dallas Avenue and go into the old uh, cemetery, you will go past the mausoleum that's there on the cemetery. This is a huge thing. You can look and see a mausoleum is uh, a building, a small building that encases a grave, and in that grave is uh, a man named William Rufus King, and he was one of the founders of Selma. In fact, he had a plantation across from the bluff that Selma was built on, and he had a plantation called King's King's Bend, which is a big bend in, in the river, and little Miami is there, and Anyway, that was his plantation, and he was a lawyer who uh, lived in North Carolina, and, and he came uh, to Alabama, served in the House of Representatives and Senate, and actually he was Vice President for only about uh, six weeks or something like that, and he passed away, and he's buried in that mausoleum, and my dad used to take me there. Dad, Dad loved to do things that were kind of that were kind of humorous things, and. And he would uh, take my brother and me there and park beside that Marshall limb and said, listen, if you run around it three times and knock on the door and ask him what he's doing, he will say nothing. <laughs> and I don't know how many times I ran around that marshal limb knocking on that. Daddy, he ain't said anything. <laughs> and so it finally came to my understanding, uh, probably last year when I finally figured it out, That he isn't saying anything. He doesn't say anything. But here's the point I want to bring to this moment is that God in Hebrews is a God who speaks. And he has been speaking since creation. And five or six times in creation it says, in Genesis it said, said, And he said, and he said, and he said, and he said. And at the end, he gave an evaluation, and he would say, it is good, it is good. But at the end, he gave an evaluation, and he said, it is very good. And God is still speaking in this world. He speaks when we gather together and read God's word. He speaks when you look out at a sunset, or as I did the other day, Susan I did the other day, you see a rainbow. He speaks in people who minister to others and there's this sense of God's presence as you're with him. And he speaks as we pray to him and sometimes he just moves on our heart. But he is a God who speaks. And the greatest revelation that he has given is in Jesus Christ. And evidently these people who he's writing to are trying to move beyond something better or something different. And he's saying the writer of this says you can't find anything different or greater than Jesus Christ. So it, but he writes to them and he warns them. And if you have your Bibles in, in uh, chapter 6, here's, he's warning them. And this is one of the hardest verses in scripture for Southern Baptists to interpret. Because we believe in once saved, always saved. And I believe in once saved, always saved. But here's the point. If you were saved to begin with, you will stay and stay and stay and stay. Now, Kwai just sang a beautiful hymn, It Is Well. And it's about a man, the story behind that is a man who had lost his family. But he still says in the middle of that, he looks up and he makes this kind of statement in that hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. Salvation is something you receive, but then once you receive it, it stays with you, and it doesn't go away, and it's there even in places where you lose whatever it is you lose. So here's what Jesus or the writer says uh, to those people who are kind of drifting away. And drifting away sometimes is a process. It says that after COVID, only one-third of the people will ever come back to church. And this role has, this church has a lot of people who have kind of drifted away. And the question is, were they really saved in the first place? If you drift away, are you really saved in the first place? Well, my answer to that, if you're saved, you will come back. You will find a way to come back. Because faith just doesn't quit. It keeps going. Genuine faith keeps going. And we can lock these doors and keep them, tell them nobody can come in here, and they will find a way to get in here when you worship. But then if you're looking for an excuse not to come, you will find it. And so, in writing to these people, hear the words if you have your Bibles in Hebrews chapter 6, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. Let us go on to perfection. That is, let's keep pushing forward. That's what faith does. It keeps, I want to keep growing. I want to come just like Christ. From the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. And doctrines of baptism, of laying on hands and resurrection of the dead. This was a spiritual kind of moment that they've had. All those are good spiritual moments. Susan was baptized here. I was baptized in Central Baptist Church. And I had people lay hands on me and say, God bless you as you have your spiritual moment. And they've had that kind of spiritual moment. But what's happened? For it is impossible, verse 4, let me just grasp that. It's a warning. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened. I had a funeral for a man, too, several years ago who was a boat captain, and he, was, uh, and he passed away. He was not involved in the church. He loved the sea, and he went out into the sea, and he loved being out there. In fact, he's going to be buried at sea. But there was a time when he was in the church, and the preacher preached on John 3, 16, and all of a sudden his heart was enlightened. He felt God's presence in a powerful way. He went home and couldn't get, get rid of that kind of sense of God's presence in his life. But he did nothing with it. And eventually that sense of God's presence began to fade and fade and fade. And it faded away. Now to bring him back to that point would take a miracle of God. But God, nothing is impossible with God. Amen? So here he he kind of drifted away but... He cares about them, and you can hear his praying about them, caring about them. Look in verse 12 or verse 11. And we desire. Now, the Greek word there is epitheme. Didn't that excite you? Aren't you excited over that? Say, so what did y'all do in 1st Baptist? We spoke in tongues. Amen. Epitheme. But here's the idea. Uh, I don't want you to be drifting. I want you to come back. I can't leave you alone. I want you to come to church and sit by me. Uh, Susan and I had, when we teach uh, singles, and we used to teach singles. Now they got married. Now they're having babies, and we didn't encourage it. It just happened that way, I But there was this guy who was a plumber, and I told you about that his, his life is draining, amen, as a plumber. But he left the church. A lot of personal problems he had and didn't think anybody cared for him. But Susan Henry cared about him. And she kept calling him and writing him, we won't see you back at church. His name was Garth. And. And he pushed away for a long since and a long time. But finally he began to soften. And he comes to our church in Fairhope. And he comes on Sunday morning and Sunday school. And he comes on Sunday night and he comes on Wednesday night. And he's in a prayer group. And he thanks us for caring for him and not letting him drift away. Now the writer of Hebrews is reaching out to these people to bring them back because that's faith in itself is you don't let somebody go. You keep working with them and working with them to try to bring them back to that place where they have left. And I don't know if you watched the coronation yesterday. I think it's kind of fascinating. But there was this family came out at Buckingham Palace on the balcony and all the family was there but you know who was missing? Prince Harry was missing. And why wasn't he there with his family? And there could have been several speculation about several reasons why he wasn't there with his family. One is that he wanted his mother to be in the place where Camilla was and he didn't really go along with what his father's decision had been. Another was um, maybe he felt like the monarchy didn't treat his wife like they should have treated her. And there's this anger towards the monarchy of how they treat his wife. And that's a hard anger to get through. Or maybe he felt like his brother got all the attention. He was kind of left out of all of them. But here's what the uh, writers say that he was not invited, nobody invited him. In fact, they left him alone. And he was there for the coronation. But for the picture with the family, he flew away, left that, which at one time had been a part of his life. And whoever these people are in Hebrews, they are part of, used to be a part of the church, used to be an energetic and an exciting and optimistic part of the of the church, but somehow some things have happened. Now they're drifting away, and you can just let them go, or you can reach out with them for the. But that's hard. It's an impossible work. It's a hard work. But remember that anything is possible with God. And so maybe somebody is on your heart that is not here and should be here. and and they've kind of just drifted away they still believe in god but they've had this kind of drifted moment in their life this church ought to be a church and i'm sure you are that cares for those who are drifting away now if you're going to trust somebody if you're going to trust somebody turn back to hebrews chapter 11 if you're going to trust somebody uh, there are issues of trust one is if I'm going to have brain surgery, and there are a lot of people who say, you really need some brain surgery. Uh, look at the person next to you. Do they look like they need brain surgery? <laughs> there are some issues and to trust a brain surgeon. First of all, you got to know that he understands you or she understands you. That's important. I want him to understand who I am and what issue is in my life. You need somebody if you're looking for a good brain surgeon. Somebody that cares about you. I mean, it may be your brain, maybe your gallbladder. I'm gonna take out your brain and we'll see if that fixes it. But I want him to care about me. I also want him to be competent. That is, I want him not to have a correspondence course that he graduated from. I want him to be I don't care if he's an OBGYN. I don't want him it's working on my brain. He might be a person that says, listen, I've never done that before. I'm willing to try it, though. <laughs> uh, but I want a person of character. I don't want him to be like Donald Trump. I want him to be a person of character. And what is right and what is wrong is there's a clear definition, and he or she knows that. But I also want them to have a track record. I want to look at their record. How successful have they been in the brain surgery that needs to be done? And the writer of Hebrews is pulling at these people to come back and saying that God fits all those trust issues. And then he gives them this track record record. And he begins with the fact that God, he gives a definition of what it means by faith. If you look in verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 11, you see that it has substance to hope, and it's about things not seen. You see them now, but you can see them only through faith eyes. It's amazing what faith eyes see and the rest of the world does not see. So he gives a definition But he also gives some examples, concrete examples. And he began with God in verse 3, how God spoke the world into existence. And he, he put his image in creation. And so the creation reflects the God who made them. And God spoke and there was nothing. And when God spoke, there was something. And he brought this world into existence. And if you're struggling with that, you will have a hard time uh, with the virgin birth of the fact that he came back from the dead. So it begins with that point of where God is, but he goes on to do the antediluvian. Amen? If you're really into things, here's the antediluvian section of Hebrews chapter 11. Antediluvian is the time before the flood. And so he gives two examples, and one of these is by faith. If you see that in verse 4, Abel brought forth a more excellent offering than his brother Cain. That is, they came to worship, but just showing up is not enough. I'm glad you're here, but I hope you brought your heart with you. And I wrote, hope when you give, you give the very best that you have. And you approach God the way God says you ought to approach him. And not everybody approaches God as giving that blessing. God says, I want a sacrifice and I want the best that you have. And so Abel brought the best sacrifice and Cain brought just something that he had. And God had favor upon Abel sacrificed, because he approached God the way God says, this is the way you approach me. So Abel approached him like he should have approached him. Now, Cain has a problem with that. But Cain's problem is not so much with Abel. Cain's problem is with God. And so often our problem with God is taken out on our brother And the frustration and anger that we deliver to our brother and our sister is based on the fact of something is missing in our relationship with God. So Cain was absorbed in his anger, and anger became the worst of him, and he lived his life in that kind of anger mode, and he killed his brother. But again, his problem was not so much with his brother. His problem was with God. We're to love others as Christ has loved us. And when you feel Christ's love in your life, it's amazing how you will reach out to your brother and sister. Another person mentioned there is Enoch, and I like Enoch. It says, by faith, Enoch... uh, uh, went, uh, didn't follow death and didn't have death. And if you go through chapter 5, you will see of Genesis, you see that, and he died, and he died, and he died. But Enoch was taken away with God. God says, "Uh, follow me. And he followed him, and he was with him. They walked together, and God says, why don't you just go to my house? And And here's a point of, Enoch's life, if you have your Bible, and I hope you have this underlined, and he pleased God, and he pleased God. Of all the things that can happen to me, if that doesn't count, then my life is not being what it ought to be. I don't care if you're the most successful CEO in the world. If you don't please God, then you've missed out on what is the most important purpose of your life in my life. And if you don't please God, it doesn't matter who you please. Now, if you were to look in Genesis chapter 6, um, in between, um, in between uh, Enoch and Noah, there's this verse that said it pained God. That he had made man. Every person had this kind of imaginations of their heart was into wickedness. And it pained God that he had made man. That's, that's in Genesis chapter 6. But here's the idea of the pain. It's like the word there is a picture of somebody taking a breath with, with brokenness in their ribs. And you know what a pain that is if you try to take a breath in the middle of broken ribs. There's a pain, there's a sharp pain. It's not that God is, is pain because he made man. He's pain because man has turned out the way he has turned out. And we can get a picture of the heart of God as his pain. so God brings judgment. Now... Um, I sometimes read the comic strips, although now you can't even get a paper in Alabama. But anyway, and I read Hagar the Horrible. I get some of my best sermons from Hagar the Horrible. (laughs) And Hagar is uh, sick, and his wife comes in the door and says, What's wrong with you? And he said, Man, I'm just really hurting. She said, Nothing wrong with you. You're just lazy, good for nothing. And turned around and walked out the door. But before that, he told her, I said, he said, I have a pain that comes and goes. And as she walks out the door, he says, there it goes. <laughs> now, uh, do any of you have a pain that comes and goes? And maybe you brought your pain with you today, and maybe they're sitting next to you. But the pain of God is to see people he has created with purpose and to see them going in a different direction. And it pains God. It hurts God. Because he has done everything he can to bring us to faith and to stay in that faith. So, Noah, if you have your Bibles, back to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, Noah was warned. He was warned. Among all the creatures there, he was warned. And it's a warning that judgment is coming. So judgment is coming. So he does something about the fact that judgment is coming. I mean, none of us can avoid judgment. Judgment's coming. It's coming to all of our lives, And there's some kind of gospel that leaves this judgment alone... And wants to preach on the goodness and love of God. But because of God's love, judgment is coming. There's an accountability that's before each one of us. And one day we will all have to give an accountability of how we've lived our life. Rich, poor, black, white, whatever it is. All of us will have to give an accountability of our life. So Noah moved with passion he did something, and he built something nobody had ever built before he had built he built a boat and God said it's going to rain and it's going to rain, and judgment is coming by the rain, and you build a boat, and everybody there was no boat, nobody. what are you doing Noah and people would come out and kind of see him with his boat, maybe he preached a hundred years or maybe it was one hundred and twenty years of that. he was building his boat. What is that crazy Noah doing? building a boat there's no boat there's no water here it all comes from up but because God said it that's what he did and then a hundred years later he went in the boat and God closed the door and judgment reigned on that generation that's a kind of sobering thought a very sobering thought Um, I like the um, um, got written down here lost my train of thought for a minute Uh, I can't even think of his name I know my name but I'm not sure I think of his name and I thought I had it written down. Maybe I do somewhere. Well, it's a good illustration. You won't understand it, read any one of these days. The third baseman for the Baltimore Orioles is in the Hall of Fame. Um, when he showed up for every game, and he wrote a book about being in the Hall of Fame, about his childhood, And he wrote about the first little league game he went to. And the first little league game he went to, his mama came in to tell him good night, and he was dressed in his uniform. He said, "You don't need to be dressed in your uniform. I'll wake you up." But (laughs) so he, she went out and she came back right before she went to bed, and he was still dressed in his uniform. And here's the point: he knew what was coming and he was ready. You See my point? He knew what was coming and he was ready. Uh, Two days ago, uh, Susan and I sat with a man who was taking his last breath. That's an awesome place to be. He had um, come to me and he and his wife had come to me from another church environment he had grown up kind of hard he lived in Calvert, Alabama went all the way graduated from the University of Alabama went to New Jersey and in New Jersey he had a business and his business went well he was very successful in that business but he knew his heart was not right with the Lord and so um, he he wanted to know what it was like to be a Christian and I sat down with he and his wife and talked to him about receiving Christ as their Savior, and, and uh, both of them, she had already been saved, and, and he had never been saved, and he asked Christ into his life. I uh, baptized him and, and put him under like you do uh, Baptist way. You put him under until they bubble. Amen, that's a Baptist way. And I raised him up, by the way. I kept some of them under there longer than others. But it did take us three days to clean out the baptistry after we had baptized him. But yesterday, about two days ago, we watched him. And you can hear that rattle in the chest. And you know it's not long. And we prayed, God take him home. He's ready to go. And we will have this funeral uh, this coming week. He knew that judgment's coming and he wanted to get his heart right with the Lord. Noah, life was a testimony to the others around him. He built his boat. Why are you building that boat? Because judgment's coming. And I want to be ready. And he was. And he is the only one of the first time righteousness. Is mentioned in the Bible is in Genesis when it talks in those three chapters about uh, Noah. But after God worked with Noah, instead of working with the whole race, and here's God's strategy from Genesis He begins working with one family. And the one family is to reach out to the whole world, and it was to be Abraham's family. And Abraham was in a place called Ur of the Chaldees, which was in a lot of ways advanced civilization. This is where Iraq is today. And God came to him and said, I want you to leave where you are and go where I will show you. Look at his words, verse 8 of chapter 11. Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should often receive, should after receive for an inheritance. By the way, if you go to Jerusalem, you will see that inheritance that they received from Abraham. But greater than that is the salvation that comes by faith through Abraham and how it reaches out to the whole world. He received, he obeyed. He did what God told him to do, and he went out not knowing where he was going. And again, I can imagine what Sarah said. Where are you going now? What are we going to do? Just follow me, I'll take you wherever. Wherever you want to go. So, and I'm glad that Susan did that for me. Um, I grew up on 3rd Avenue. Susan and I started going together in the eighth grade. And uh, we went to prom together. Matter of fact, I married my prom, na- prom date. Amen. How many of you have married your prom date? Would you raise your hand if you mean amen? And I asked a, a girl the other day, a neighbor, I said, Do you? Married prom date. And she said, thank you, God, I didn't. Amen. <laughs> but we got married, and, and I, was in, I graduated in accounting, and then went on to the Army. And then after the Army, I felt God calling me to seminary, and Susan became a seminary wife. We were living off the GI Bill. Our first church was Thomaston, not Thomasville. There's a big difference in Thomaston and Thomasville. Uh, Now they have a place to eat. We had to go to Demopolis to get a pizza. Uh, Then he called me to teach, teach girls. I said, Lord, I don't understand girls. And he said, that's all right, you get in. Nobody else understands girls either. So I would tell him, I said, no, we're going to have a test, and they'd start crying and I said, okay, we don't have to have it then. And they used that over and over and over again. Uh, then he led me to Elkdale, which was a great experience for us, and then to the Fairhope. And there to be your own pastor here. Wherever he leads, I'll follow. I'll follow my Christ, who loves me so, wherever he leads. I'll fall. Now, would you bow your heads with me this morning? Our invitation is going to come from 465. Only trust him. But where's God leading you? You know, Selma, Alabama, you don't need to go to distant places to find a mission field. We got a field right here in Selma, Alabama. And wherever God leads you, I hope you will say that wherever you lead me, I'll go. If it's to my neighbor across the street, if it's to somebody who has stopped coming to this church or stopped coming to any church, it may be the meanest person you can think of. Nothing's impossible, God. I care about you. Because somebody cared about Dear Father, I pray that you will help us to say that prayer that's written in that song. Wherever you lead, I'll go. I'll follow my Christ who loves me so wherever he leads. I'll go. May that be a prayer and use that prayer to make a difference. In our lives, in our families, in our community, in our church. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Our hymn of invitation is hymn number 465. Only trust Him. Only trust Him. Jeff's going to come and lead us in that. God's leading you to make a decision that whatever God's placed on your heart, don't let it go because it gets colder and colder and colder. So you follow God's leading in your life, would you stand?